This event was recorded live at the 2017 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Good afternoon and welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. My name is Becky Fincham and alongside Luke Wright I programme and produce Babylon. Babylon is a strand of this glorious festival that celebrates the magic of poetry and spoken word with an emphasis on performance. A note on format, once I've introduced the poets they're going to appear and perform one after each other um, for just under an hour. And after the event, you can come across to the main bookshop where the poets will be happy to chat to you while they sign copies of their books. The idea for this event came to us in January this year, which is when we tend to plan the Babylon Strand. For those of you that have managed to recover from the shock of January, let me offer a little refresher. He who shall not be named had just been inaugurated into the White House. Me, my friends and about 100,000 other people in London and millions across the world had taken to street in protest at Trump's rise to power through a series of women's marches. Like many other people, I was feeling angry, but also emboldened and ready for change. In just one day, I felt the heady power and possibility of women's voices being brought together to speak their truths, to share their broader vision of a world beyond boundaries of gender and not asking for permission to do so. And as I was sitting at my desk a few days later, I realised that spoken word and poetry is one place that I've seen this boldness running as a constant in individual acts of creativity and through the courage to be outspoken. Whilst comedy still struggles with gender equality, the spoken word scene is well used to its biggest, most exciting exports being female. Following the f in the footsteps of Kate Tempest and Holly McNish, it is my pleasure to, bring to, to introduce to you four of the most exciting new talents in spoken word. Sophia Walker, Iona Lee, Sabrina Mafuz, and Jemima Foxtrot. I'm just going to introduce each of the poets. BBC Slam champion Sophia Walker is an internationally renowned poet and teaching artist. She has a number of incredible titles, including winner of the 2012 Poetry Olympics, and, mother, and among other things, she represents the UK for the World Queer Slam and in the World Slam Championships, where she previously ranked third. Sophia's solo spoken word plays have toured the world and won awards, including Best Spoken Word Show in the UK. Her poetry has appeared across the media, including the BBC, and her debut collection, Opposite the Tour Bus, was published in 2014 and was shortlisted for the Reader's Choice category of the Guardian First Book Award. Now, apparently, Selena Godden forced Iona Lee to become a performance poet. When Selena saw Iona's first performance, age 17, in Scotland, she recruited Iona as her protégé. Born in Edinburgh and raised nearby, Iona Lee is now an established figure of the Scottish spoken word scene and is the current Scottish Slam champion. A student at the Glasgow School of Art, she often illustrates her own work and the work of others. She's appeared on the BBC and performed at a number of festivals, including the Glastonbury Poetry Stage. And keep your eyes peeled for Iona's collection, which is going to appear in the next year. I say appear, like you don't have to work really hard and write it. <laughs> Sabrina Mafuz is a poet, a playwright and a screenwriter who has published a number of theatre pieces, including Layla's Room, Chef and With a Little Bit of Luck, all with Matthew and Bloomsbury. Her poetry and writing has been performed and produced for TV, radio and film, including the BBC Two and Sky Arts. Her debut poetry collection, How You Might Know Me, was, po was published in 2016 by Outspoken Press. 
And Sabrina has also edited an anthology of writing by British Muslim women called The Things I Would Tell You. Sabrina has also won a number of awards, including a Sky Arts Academy Poetry Award. Jemima Foxtrot is a poet, a musician, a theatre maker and a performer. Jemima was shortlisted for the Arts Foundation Spoken Word Fellowship in 2015 and her debut poetry play, Melody, hit the Edinburgh, hit the Edinburgh Fringe to great acclaim in the same year. Her first collection of poetry, All Damn Day, was published by Burning Eye in 2016 and she's had work commissioned by the BBC, Tate Britain and Latitude Festival. Jemima travels the country performing extensively and has shared a stage with the likes of Beck and Thurston Moore. Whilst the talents of each of these four poets are sharp, sharply individual and unique, as I was rereading their work and listening to it again, I couldn't help but see a common thread. Through their work, each poet calls the world's ideals of womanhood to account and offers a fresh take. Each poet remains outspoken under the weight of expectation women face. And each poet brings a reader, reader hidden, hidden universes, revealing the world anew that perhaps, as Sabrina says, was never tailored to fit them. And I'm going to leave you with a final word taken from Jemima Fox Trock's collection. A woman shouldn't have to be for anything much. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and please welcome Sophia Walker to the stage. the man who repeatedly punched me, stole all my money and spat dyke in my face with such vitriolic hatred like it excused his behaviour. Let's think about this for a second. What is a dyke? A seawall. A mere combination of stone and bonding agent creating a haven against the forces of nature. A few thousand metres protects millions of people. As if my arms could stretch with strength in defence of all those who meant something to me. Could prevent them from drowning when misfortune surrounds them. A veritable life raft in the face of floods of days that shake us. As if I were safety, never breaking in the wake of waves of hatred. I have stood the test of centuries, pushing back at me, shaped strength against adversity, made nations retract bigotry. Please, accuse me of holding back the sea. With each punch he landed, his hate grew more candid, till my mere act of standing proved too much for his handling. As he walked away with my money and his bruised knuckles, I chuckled. I'd learned I am more fearless than Perseus, a lesson not lost on both of us. His blasphemy had deemed me more powerful than Neptune, cleverer than King Canute. Go on, please, call me a dyke. Thank you. I am... Um I never thought it would get to the point where uh, being a woman felt almost as dangerous as, as being gay. But um, thank you, American right. Thank you, Philip Davies, DUP, we're there. It is a picturesque English village of 
church coffee mornings, women's institute baking glories. This is the kind of place still happily engaging in Morris dancing. Daily Mail Dreamland, iconic cream tea land. This is where Enid Blyton's famous five spend their vacation time. This is idyllic England. At 10 a.m. or lessons in session, the secondary school is quiet. I find myself in a classroom with 27 youth. We are talking about sex, which in essence means this lesson's about the internet. The porn they've uncovered is, love is a meaningless word in a world of one cup and two girls. I think, hold firm. There is an unmeant pun in those words. Not hand jobs, but the job at hand stand fast against the disheartening, this desire to protect these pubescent kids with no concept of what consensual is. I ask them to define intimacy. A girl of 13 said, sex and every class member agreed you see you'd only have anal sex with the boyfriend but you'd give a blowjob to anyone this from a kid too young to have seen jack and Ori. in a village of church coffee mornings women's institute baking glories while grandmas bake cream cakes preteens brag how cream tastes trading glorious hot buttered rolls for hot footage from glory holes this is where innocence and the internet intersect. The exact point kids start thinking intimacy means anal sex. Thank you. My high school math teacher was called Mr. Smith, but we called him Smithy. All five foot ten, weighing 140, dripping wet. He had smoker's teeth. A visage too kind to be ugly, though definitely not what our math class would call attractive. One day in 11th grade, Smithy chose to teach us the golden ratio. 1 to 1.618, the mathematical definition of beauty. From a rectangle to Angelina Jolie, though unconscious, it is the constant similarity in everything we see as beautiful. And when we measured the distance from forehead to nose, nose to chin, Smithy's golden skin shaped him the equation of gorgeous. I have never once found true beauty where I expected when a too-long depression hit, pushed me to its precipice. I felt Smithy's vice grip pull me back from that cliff before I even knew he'd noticed. I wasn't the only kids he did that with. One to 1.618. I traced the strain from all those he saved in each of his nicotine-stained teeth. His grief for their misery. He was mid-thirties, but his cheeks were lined with creases. Soft pleats in skin for each student he couldn't mend. He never knew how many of us he saved. 1 to 1.618. At the school's wake, Smithy's mother sat in stunned silence, tears streaming from her eyes, but she was smiling. 
There were over 500 alumni, some flying thousands of miles. They stood up one by one and told her how her son had shaped them. One to 1.618. The sum total of seconds it took Smithy to intervene if he could see someone in need. The percentage of time he spent on him. The probability any of us could do all he did. One day in 11th grade, Smithy chose to teach us the golden ratio. It took me too long to see he was the meaning of beautiful. Thank you. Um, Smithy was my teacher in America, and Smithy died of AIDS, but they had to lie to us about it, because you can't tell American parents that you let a gay man near their kids, let alone tell them that you let someone with AIDS near their kids. And it's, it's amazing how comfortable we are attributing a hierarchy to, to human life and, and, and to human worth. It's, we've started to rate lives. There's a crowd gathered at the waterfront, there to witness the unveiling of the latest beach body. The latest beached body bloated on the shoreline. There is a mass of people, not large group, but vigil. This beach is lit with flickering candles, not littered with sunblock and sandals. There are no giggling children for happy mums to towel off, just body bags for border enforcement agents to zip shut. Our governments hoped they wouldn't have to contend with the visual impact the beached body has, because you can't draw chalked outlines on sand. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna do one super quick short one to end. This is my book, please buy it. I, um, when I was 20, I took a job in uh, Uganda towards the tail end of the war, and I spent a lot of time in, in refugee camps. And um, a war shows you the extremes of what it is to be human. And I think America right now is showing us the extremes of, of what it is to be human. And the thing about the worst of times is they at least give you the opportunity to act your best. Did you know that seeds never die? Even after decades dry, when placed in water, they will grow. In most third world countries, the leading cause of non-war related death is the water. Even the seeds lose hope. As typical as the image, gun barrels are never cold. The first time I felt a muzzle jammed into my back, all I could think was how warm this is. Have you ever witnessed a bullet traveling through the body? No, we crumple round the bullet hole. We don't fall, we drop. When you see someone's heads cut off, their legs keep moving. When that head hits the ground, it will roll till it lands on next stump, it stares up. Most nights, the eyes are what I see. In Nakasemi, I met three men who earned their living driving continuously round the city, shoveling corpses off the street. They'd been doing it for so long, they tossed gunshot battered bodies into back of pickup truck like sacks of muck. 
They told me after 26 years of war, a body is just carcass. I asked if they thought post-death our souls left us. They told me souls are the last casualties of war, the thing you fight hardest for, lost more quickly in the living than the dead. Hello. So um, I accidentally stayed dancing in a gay bar till 5 a.m. this morning. Um, so I'm suffering a wee bit. Um, so I thought I'd start with a poem about the morning after the night before. Dawn breaks like a dropped teacup, unleashing a storm that wakes me up. And I trace a trail of discarded clothes like breadcrumbs back to a bottle. I remember freckles on his face. Yes, freckles, each a speck of dust, still suspended in a slice of sunlight in a white-walled space. Now the night before is similarly scattered, strewn confetti on the floor. As morning sidled in, they scarpered, scuttled, scurried in a hurry out the door or through the cracks in the floorboards, hoarding behind wallpaper, patient and waiting for the night before to do a full revolution, then come back for more. Leaving me alone in the quiet of it all, regretting cigarettes and secrets, slips stumbled, tripped forth from my drunken lips like drunkards tumbling from a bar. Um, I'll keep on the theme of partying, because I, I do it quite a lot. Um, this one's more about uh, house parties, though, when you're about 14, um, which, I, I don't know, in Scotland you start drinking quite young. So uh, uh, a lot of house parties and where you'd have your sort of first awkward sexual encounters with guys you didn't really want to get with, it's just they were all that was there. I would wet my tights for him in puddles so that he might notice the way my toes curled and be distracted from the fact that I don't know how to carry my teeth. My eyes are positioned perfectly for him to notice just how blue they are, but his gaze is fixed to the buds which bloomed earlier this summer. Him, him sitting alongside me, he is a child with pointed hair, spiked to a crown, the king of our castle in his clammy cardigan. And with sweat-soaked hand, he might stretch and cautiously touch my shoulder, which I have let slip like a secret, pale and sly from its strap so that he might not see the way that I don't like my face today, but never mind. He stinks of links and adolescent self-loathing, and his clothing is what was picked for him. And I am Bambi in ridiculous heels that make me 10 feet tall, yet I still feel small. And all they play is house, yet I don't feel at home, but never mind. I know that one day that crown will thin and fall onto his pillow. And I know that he is a rabbit caught in the flashing lights which caught my carefully crossed arms. And he likes the angle that I make.
This is a wee one that I wrote uh, later on when I started to get what it was actually all about. And it's somewhere in here. I can always tell when it's a good gig because my mum and dad come. They don't normally come. So sorry about this one. <laughs> uh, it's called Wet Hot Happiness. I hold this poem like a cup and pour our happiness into it. Let it sit. Let me look at it. You're there, running a finger the full length of my unshaved leg. You giggling. We pour wet, hot happiness on the bed, teeth touching, white bum like a loaf of bread. I say yes to the hole in your shoulder. We smoke and eat toast and it tastes like happy. We could do this over and over, each little toe holding up the blanket, a dark tent den and then again and again and over and then it's over again. Or to be this safe and warm and this happy, this naked and this nothing and everything all at once. Oh, to wake up and want to keep on living. My boyfriend is also here. Sorry, Daniel. Um, <laughs> that's his bum. Um, <laughs> um, okay. This, this is a serious one, so don't mention your bum again. Um, does anyone know Tam Lin? No. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's an old Scottish ballad, and I grew up on folk music and folk tales. And um, it was one of my favorite, because it's got a female hero. Um, who saves the day and saves the man. Uh, in the story, uh, Tamlin is kidnapped by the Queen of the Fairies and uh, his lover has to jump out of the woods and grab a hold of him and the Queen of the Fairies turns him into all manner of things and she has to stay holding on to save him. Uh, so this is my version of it called Away with the Fairies. He has a way with the fairies. I find him hiding at the bottom of the garden that's where they reside, he says, by the dried leaves of last autumn. And fruit stones turned to cyanide when summer starts to harden. I find him pining by the tree stem, by the stilt roots of screw pines as thick as arms, as, thi as thick as brittle fingers. They're as thick as thieves, he says. I never see them. When we met, me wandering white, plucking double roses in the milk moonlight. My man, he was a magic thing. My Tamlin, my changeling with a face that filled the sky, a body stretched across the sea. He was the twirling world back then, and the world belonged to me. I gathered the skies like a skirt in those immortal mornings and made crowds of the clouds. I let the sun sprout with every dawn, reaching full flower as the day was drawn across my eyes and overhead. Him, a manic pearl in the world my oyster, a cloister my maidenhead. And who was I to deny the world what it wanted? I bravely gave him all of me, for he was made of magic, and I an apple tree. Though new and ludicrous in the mercy of his means, and though green and gold and mild, I was old of mind. Enshrined in me was woman's time-worn wisdom, 
nature's half-heard whispers, a transcendental tide. My pride, we know the way of things, what youth and beauty brings, the promises, the praise he sings, his being but a shadow searching yours, his fever only quenching cures. But we're born strong, born storm, born wrong. I come from a long line of mornings, white as diamonds. But I turned for a time to watch the sunsets instead. Let sweet, fruitless nothings numb my head. As wit withered and wide eyes wilted, a sun sprouted inside of me. And in turn, my tamlin was turned into a sea that took my breath, was turned into a flame to death, was turned into a wood that took the light, was turned into a mist that took the night. I held him as he kissed unsettling insects on my face. I held him as he fell from grace. And worst of all, I held his hand as Tamlin waned back into what he always was. Not made of magic, just made of man. Right, I'll do one more. Um, I'm quite young, I'm 21, and um, I think that when I like olives, I'll be a grown-up. Um, so this is my poem about me being a grown-up at some point. <laughs> when I'm all grown-up and sensible, I will understand the need for early nights and white swashes. I will know what a mortgage actually is, and why I don't need to finish the bottle, and my hair will never frizz. Fellow grown-ups will call me Madam, Lady and Ms and offer me olives that they bought in the shop. And seeing as I am an adult, I would love to eat some olives, but I will also know when to stop. <laughs> I will know my wines well, of course, know my Shiraz from my Merlot. I'll know the right faces to pull when I'm tasting and it won't be wasting when I spit it out. When I am a grown-up, I will hold my own at dimly lit dinners and say things like, define your terms, Jeremy. I will have a fail-safe pie recipe and spend my weekends with the National Trust. When I am a grown-up, I will hang silk dressing gowns on the bathroom door and will stay inside more. Stay inside instead, inside my bed, which I will make and not just sleep on sofas, and I will fall asleep and wake at roughly the right times. When I am a grown-up, I will suffer from things called tax and damp and menopause, and I will definitely know for certain that Santa Claus is a lie. When I am a grown-up, I will lose the swim of what's current, but I won't care. I'll lose my hair and knit it into my scarf and go to the places where they keep cobblestones and cafes and laugh and say, how lovely at many things. <laughs> when I am a grown-up, I will no longer drink all these drinks and think all these things that I think I have to think and try to look like I care. I will not suffer fools and I will swear at any behatted bohemian who dare tell me about his new band. <laughs> when I am a grown-up, I will shut up about myself. Stop writing poems trying to work it all out. I, I will eat weird foods like trout and blue cheese. And my knees will allow me to stand once a day. I will believe in biscuits and kindness and the simple way. Or I will f uh, shout louder 
Become a fighter whose light shines so much brighter. Have tantrums in the crisp aisle because I can. Order triple whiskeys and get frisky with the young lads who let me. When I am a grown-up, I may live and die by the pub and express strong opinions on things I know fuck all about. When I am a grown-up, I will sign my name on texts <laughs> and use a diaphragm during sex. I will take my coffee black and I will make my money last and I will drive fast cars down country lanes free from all these growing pains. Thank you. I love olives, so I'm definitely a grown-up, but I'm still shorter than you. <laughs> Smooth move there with Mike. Um, so I'm going to read some poems from my collection, How You Might Know Me. Um, it's four characters who all work in different areas of the UK sex industry. Um, so it'll just sort of flow through, so don't feel you need to clap until the end, if you want to clap at the end. Um, so the first character is called Sylvia. She's the elder of the group. This is called Taking Vouchers. Thing is, though, we take cash. I mean, it's always been that way. You know how people say it's always been that way? Well, what they mean is it has always been that way. Stars studding the sodding sky, that's how it's always been. The KFC geezer having some creepy old beard, that's how it's always been. Women getting money for men to do what they need to do so we can do what we need to do. It's always been. You come along with a voucher card telling me there's 20 quid on there for Argos. Start listing all the things I can get from Argos like I don't know what you can get from Argos is not how it's always been. You must think you're onto something brand spanking new here. You must think you're showing proactive innovation. But mate, let me tell you, what's always been will be. Those stars don't start shining on sludgy seabeds just so you can swim through the night, do they? In fact, you know what? By offering me these vouchers, what you're basically saying is that this service, I'm highly skilled, let me add, service is not as important as another life basic, like electric. Because I know you're not going to ask the man in the shop to swap lecky credits for that stupid football trophy you've got stuck to your dashboard with superglue now, are you? But if I asked, what would you rather go without tonight, me or a bit of glow in your hallway? I know you'd want to get my talents and hold a candle when you get home. So, you know, priorities, mate. You have got to prioritise in this life, otherwise you just end up in the dark regardless. Talking of which, I do need a new lamp for the living room, so go on then, just this once. <laughs> Day out with daughter. Is not far away, probably, my wooden death. So I want to say, I should have said, that time we went swimming in the Lido, goose pimples pointing out our mistake, nipples harder than sucked, Dragonfly vibrates above your pineapple ponytail. Aquamarine neon nudges me to tears. Nature's colours more than I can take. Bursts my heart with its necessity, this unreal blue above you. A levitating spark clenches my breath away, makes me want to live forever. Think of the colours I've yet to live. Let me live in this lido under chlorinated dead leaves, freezing my tits off for as long as the world is being held. For as long as you are in front of me, blowing ripples unaware of, my God, do some people feel this always? You splashed me. The dragonfly disappeared with your laugh. My cheeks soaked in pool water, washing away the other water. You took a twig from my hair to put behind your ear, smiling, dripping, brilliant. I want to say, this was my life, you, in water, 
forces working against us. One, foreigns. Liberal I am, I mean my mum was foreign, but even I have limits, you have to admit it's getting limitless, the shit we're expected to take, because others take shit because their lives have had limitless amounts of shit. So now they get what they can, where they can. Do you think they know things we don't know? Two, images. How you might know me comes to mind every time someone says, I think I know you, I think you bloody well don't, but do you? (laughs) TV, magazines, films, documentaries, mockumentaries, all show me a version of me that isn't me, not in the extreme me, just me. Pictures like that make it seem like we're greedy bitches wanting Gucci or paddling pools full of cocaine. I wouldn't say no to that, who would? I make my grandkids lunch for school every day. Three, porn. Because I'm old, I get young ones, haven't got a clue. Think they have a clue, but a clue would be to know where to look. They can't look unless it's on a screen. I like it myself sometimes, but it's not what I base my sexuality on. My sexuality is based on other people's. Yeah, I suppose that's true even now at this big age. But I would rather that at least they're real people, even if I don't know their names. Other day, one said, I hope you don't have my baby. I said, love, I'm 62. He said, so. I said, you wore a condom. He said, so. I said, you only put it in my mouth. He said, so. (laughs) Four. Police. Safekeeping is not keeping us safe. To keep us safe would be to keep us paid well, but women's jobs don't pay well, some don't pay at all. Squat it up all night long, you can't stop what can't be stopped. If you want us to stop, there's a way to stop making women's jobs that don't pay well and some which don't pay at all. I'm not a victim of anything but your system, the one you patrol, the one you plod, keep going. I'm not a criminal, he's not a criminal, move on, there's a woman over there who'll never get justice, get out of my business, get over there, stop business, being without justice, how about that? Next character is Sharifa. Even revolutionaries get horny. Men with revolutionary principles are just like men without any principles at all when it comes to sex. They want to share more, maybe. They want to divulge to me the secrets of their theories, how they wish the world would spin so people like me could be free, could be so much better off. But ultimately, they will expect my clothes to disappear. They will expect flesh to be put against flesh. They will expect at least some effort from me. They will expect a nest of pleasure in eyes. They will expect an audible sign of encouragement, as do I. The difference with revolutionary men is that they will also expect a discount. As of course I should be aware that they are fighting, fighting the system for people like me so that people like me can be free, can be so much better off. Olympic Dreams 2012. He asks me who I'm rooting for. When he says the word rooting, he takes one hand off the wheel and pumps his fist up in the air as if knocking on a floating door. The window is open and my hair is stuck to my lip gloss. He takes my delay to mean I don't understand the question, so he elaborates. Iraq, Saudi, Egypt, Turkey, I don't know, wherever you're from, is that who you want to win? I smile. Go Team GB. He likes that, chuckles away for a lot longer than the phrase deserves. Stopping at the traffic lights, I want to tell him that sport is something I follow only to find the greatest concentration of stupid men in one place. (laughs) That day it happened to be in London, but I'd travelled to Beijing, Toronto, Athens, Rome, Sydney. The list is long and air miles significant. But most of the time it's easier to just smile and nod. So that's what I do. He wouldn't understand how he is cloned worldwide, how his genitals are globally molded into one, how his unique perspective is mass-produced, how his empathy is a fizzy drink can in every world city, and his significance on this earth is as unremarkable as the stickiness of his semen. 
He would be thrown into a state of long-term confusion to hear me philosophize on how the work I do is a form of healing for humanity, how I must travel to the places where I am most needed, that I traffic myself in an attempt to restore harmony to the damaged species we are, that by spending time with him, a man as undeserving as every other I've ever spent my time with, I allow him to heal, and by giving him this gift, those in his life benefit and the world is a slightly better place. But mostly, if I do this work, then it means maybe at least one less girl is being taken against her will to have a body part put inside her as she cries for her passport, her mother, her child. And the next one is um, Tali, the youngest of the crew. Um, she also works in a bakery in the day. So... One day when I worked at the bakery, you were a buff guy queuing to buy a cheese and onion pasty. I knew because your eyes became canals when you saw them in the oven, your perfect head to the side, mountainous. I stood with my blue gloves on, nails poking out, wishing for one second or maybe ten that I could be invisible. Watch you pay someone else for the pet yellow pasty you couldn't wait to eat. So I wouldn't have to wonder if you knew me from somewhere that wasn't here in the bakery. I stuck calling cards of me wearing fishnets in phone boxes once, trying to be more professional. My black and white pick has been up in Debenhams, shoplifter. I imagine being your girlfriend, how summery that would be. You'd pick me up in your golf and we'd go cinema, share popcorn. I imagine being you, looking at me, your new girlfriend, wondering what you did to get such a good girl so sweet. I imagine being your daughter, waiting for the sound of your key, the little jumps my feet would make to extol your heart. I imagine being your mother, proud of the job I'd done, hoping beyond hope that you never brought home a girl like, that's £1.25, I said. And you paid, no change needed. Our fingers touched once. I almost saw we were married, but you threw me a smile that said, I know you. And I thought, do you? Dropped home by a hitman. Have you ever really killed anyone? I asked, de-straddling his lap. The car seats were heated, windows one quarter down. He lit a cigarette, blew a grin, away from me. People talk, babes. You know how it is. I did. Fingers fiddled with knickers wedged front ways under my jeans. Fingers that really wanted to stick themselves down his throat, tickle all those cold red ridges of flesh, delve past tobaccoed saliva, blue flames of leftovers, nails nestling into the tip of a heart, feel it throb against cuticles, dent it, puncture with gel nail polish, then withdraw, hold up the paint I'd picked and expected palette. You have a real heart. It beats against these very fingertips. Look. Instead, he flicks the cigarette out the window, closes it, blows onto it, draws an X onto it, laughs. We all got to do what we got to do, innit, babes? The X fades to the colour of the street outside. I get my keys out. Agree. And the final one I do is uh, Darina. <coughs> and she didn't really get much time, but it's all right, she understands. <laughs> I know what you want more than my body. You want me to say it's what I want to do. You want me to love it so that it takes me nearer to loving you. I say, this is what I want to do. I say, I love falling in love every night as I am with you. Thank you.
And so we stroll up there again, that craggy scrap of footpath to the woods around the back of your house, sultry rain and bluebells. We deck its dumb trees with our laughter. This April dubs over the last. We've come here each Easter for years. Times change, the woods stay the same. Rain, rain and bluebells. We are muzzled by sickly tradition, so we sit down to unpack our picnic. Two scotch eggs, some slices of bread, and a single tepid Stella. In this sweet smudge of wood, I love you again. Rain and indigo bluebells. And so we stroll up there again, on that craggy scrap of footpath to the woods around the back of your house. Sultry rain and bluebells. We deck its dumb trees with our laughter. This April dubs over the last. We've come here each Easter for years. Times change, the woods stay the same. Rain, rain and bluebells. We are muzzled by sickly tradition. So sit down to unpack our picnic. Two scotch eggs, some slices of bread. A single tepid Stella in this sweet smudge of wood. I love you again, rain and indigo bluebells. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm in the process of turning some of my poems into songs. So that was the poem that I wrote that I turned into a song. Um, I've got a bit of a sore throat because I'm doing a show at the Fringe. Please come and see it. I'll tell you more about it later. Um, <clears throat> this is a poem that I wrote in response to Tracy Emmons' bed. Ooh. <laughs> bed as psyche, bed as mother, bed as everything. Messy, stained, paraphernalia, all rubbish pretty much, tell stories like smells do. The way you make my sheets smell. Sheets as neuroses so that they're coming unstuck from the mattress is a good thing. I am the goddess of the kingdom of my filth. You are so lucky to see my slippers. You would be lucky to touch my feet. Pregnancy test as peephole, negative test as gaping blue sky, condom as contradiction, nail scissors used to trim pubes as some kind of redemption. Tidiness as long-held promise, room as ever-expanding universe. Loose change as photographs, Polaroids as currency, 
I have let you look inside my bedroom and now I'm a celebrity. Barbecue sauce from McDonald's as a distant, drunken memory. Vodka as clothing. Tea light as family. Thank you. Move around a bit. Um, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to do a few more for you. I wish I wish but it's all in vain I wish I was a maid again but her maid again I never can be Till apples grow on the orange tree I am lying down with my family and we are here in the height of July on a Scottish not so hot pebbled beach but the sun is out the littlest of my nieces, six and seven, are running around in nothing but knickers. Their dry cozies rejected, squashed to the bottom of their bags. They're scurrying after crabs, chasing the incoming tide away, squealing in ripples like piglets, flying a bright red kite, getting high off the natural light of the summer, off the seaside. I wish... I wish They're lured back to our picnic blanket by strawberries and sandwiches that have somehow got sand in them and warm dry adult hugs and ice cream from the van that plays If you go down to the woods today, you're in for a big surprise Further down the beach, two older girls about ten or eleven stretch out Apprentice lionesses on beach towels. Preen in their bikinis, pull giant sunglasses down on their eyes so they look like flies as they try to wisely sigh. They behave in a way that says, check me, I am doing what grown-ups do on a beach. Check me, I might not be one, but I am a teenager. And I am doing what teenagers do. You may think I'm just a child, but you haven't got a clue. One of my little ones stops running, pot-bellied in damp pants, and looks. Next day, well-rested and hot-chocolated and ready for play on the beach again, it's different. They scramble to the bottom of the bags, chuck out the buckets and spades and put their swimming costumes on. Within the minute, they are laughing and splashing, still piglets. But I have witnessed this. In one swift moment, like a photograph, this sudden crumbling of their sweet and childish lack of self-consciousness, like some conquered city's wall. I have witnessed this. This milestone, this shift in their visions that will never shift back. I have just witnessed their rough innocence collapsing. 
and an origamied womanhood will grow from their souls in its place. I wish I wish but it's all in vain I wish I was a maid again but a maid again I never can be till apples grow on the orange tree. Okay, I'm just going to do one more for you. Thank you so much. You've been lovely. Um, this, wait a minute, I'm trying to do too many things at once. This is my show. It's called Above the Mealy Mouthed Sea. Catchy title, I know. Um, it's on at 2pm at the Underbelly every day. Um, it's my solo poetry play about memory, childhood, and performance. That's my quick elevator pitch. Please come. Um, right, finally, I'm going to just uh, do a poem that I wrote in response to a poem by Jonathan Swift called The Ladies' Dressing Room. Does anyone know that poem? It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Um, he basically wrote this poem in which... Um, a man sneaks into his lover Celia's dressing room while she's away. And he's horrified by all these things that he sees there. He sees sort of hairbrushes with dandruff in and sweaty stockings and all these traces that she might actually be a human being. Um, spoiler, she is. Um, so he sneaks into her room while she's away and he's horrified. And the, and the the poem by Jonathan Swift really satirises these very unrealistic expectations that we have of women. It was really ahead of its time in that, in this story of Celia and her, her partner. Um, so this poem is a support and response to that. Hey, I'm a good woman, I'm a good woman, such a good woman. So don't treat me like dirt. Like a bald robotic shell designed to act small, purely conservative, with a small C, mouth shut, keep stum, apart from when she's flirting, maybe. Don't fart, your arse is far too peachy for that. It's better off kept just to touch and to be looked at now. I don't know about you, but I get too hungry for dinner at eight. And don't want to spend on a salad what I could on a large glass of red. So when I get too hungry for dinner at eight, I fold McNuggets and chips into my face at six in Brixton in the back of the shop when I think that there's nobody watching. It's gone viral this week with 26,542,000 hits, a video proving that Celia, Celia, Celia shits. She's got ingrowing hairs from too much shaving and stretch marks from babies. She's got cellulite. And underneath her makeup, she's got bags beneath her eyes. She's got lungs and a colon and sinew and tissue. Her favourite food is beans on toast. It reminds her of her childhood. She overcooks the chicken in the roast every Sunday. 
She picks her nose like you and even sometimes eats it. Yes, Celia coughs, Celia vomits, Celia pisses and sneezes and shits. Sweat drips from her pores. But just the ones that aren't clogged up with all that brown and sticky stuff that she feels that she needs to be pretty. See, we're burdened with this misdirected duty to obsess on our beauty, worship our skin as if it were children, education, solar power. Don't drink coffee, it stains our teeth. Don't eat bread, don't sit down. Gluten's the new smoking, smoking's the new smack. Somehow, Celia wonders if to be ladylike is just to lie on our backs and take it. Now, the matter in Celia's insides is well aligned and fit for purpose, but unlike the diagrams, it's messy. Blood thrusts, nerves crackle. There are no mint green pebbles for ovaries, no lilac fallopians, not even an even and baby pink triangle of womb. Some people believe that Celia was forced to grow up, trapped into the female art of pretending far too soon, imagining that she should have neat tears. Bubble breasts, bleached bones. Now her legs are lame and tangled up in a net of appearance and reality. Crisscross, this has got to stop. I am not a good woman for nothing. Because a woman ain't just for cooking meals, scrubbing floors, making babies. A woman ain't just for cooking meals, scrubbing floors, making babies. A woman ain't just for cooking meals, scrubbing floors, making babies. A woman ain't just for cooking meals, scrubbing floors, making babies. A woman shouldn't have to be for anything much. I shouldn't have to be anything. Celia shouldn't have had to grow up so anxious and uptight, always sad and scared and wondering to herself just what the fuck is ladylike. Thank you. Have a good time. Well, I don't know who felt about you, ladies and gentlemen, but that was an almost overwhelming hour of talent and um, energy. So I just want to say thank you to you all for coming today. Um, please come over to the bookshop and get some books signed. And um, thank you so much to our performers, Sophia Walker, Iona Lee, Sabrina Bafouz, and Jemima Foxtrock. Thank you. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest. The next book festival is on from the 11th to the 27th of August 2018.